Good morning. Glad to be back. Been coming up here several years through several different pastors and uh, always good to be at Bethel Church. And I'm happy to be here today. Ask an interest in your prayers today. The number one, God will be glorified. And number two, something will be said that would edify the Church of Christ. I have a peculiar subject on my mind this morning. I want to talk about earthquakes. Now that would seem like a peculiar subject, wouldn't it? Well, there's six earthquakes that are mentioned in the Bible that have already come to pass. Then you go to the book of Revelation and you'll find earthquakes mentioned very prevalent as it gets closer to the days the Lord comes back. In Matthew chapter 24, as he's talking about some of the times before the Lord's coming, he says, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. So earthquakes is one of the things mentioned in the beginning of sorrows, or in the beginnings of the showing that the times is getting closer and closer to the Lord's return. Now, the first time we find that an earthquake is mentioned in the Bible, I go to Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus chapter 19, Moses is going up Mount Sinai to receive God's law. And as he's going up there, the Lord is coming down to meet him in a cloud. And it describes it this way in Exodus 19, verse 14. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready again the third day, come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there was thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount. And the voice of the trumpet exceedingly loud said that all the people that were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke. And the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked exceedingly. Now what I think they did was Moses is going up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, to receive God's law. And God is in their presence through the smoke and through the fire and it said the mount quaked. What I think they had was like a tremor. Sometimes earthquakes are preceded by tremors or after the earthquake has happened, you also have tremors to follow it, aftershocks like that. But I think he has 
tremored there upon that mountain. He shook. And what the Lord is getting is the people's attention. In a way, an earthquake is like the law of God. It's demanding. And it comes with terrible repercussions for the breaking of law, uh, God's law. Here he has trembled to get their attention. And Moses has went up there. And he has received the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. Now, when they came down from the mountain, they, the, Moses had told the people not to even come up and even touch the base of this mountain, for ye shall die. Only Moses was allowed up there. Not even if an animal touched that mountain, it would die. So he is getting them prepared for the law of God to be ready to obey God's law. But after this, we go to uh, Numbers chapter 16. We find that some did not obey God's law. In Numbers chapter 16, we find three men over here. In verse 1, Now Korah the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Elabab, on On and the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben. Now, now, Korah was the descendant of the Levites. But Dathan and Abiram, they were sons of Reuben, which in God's law had nothing to do with the tabernacle or the ceremony that they had. But yet these three men, they come up to Moses and they said, Moses, you've taken way too much responsibility on yourself. We want to share some of this responsibility that you have. And Moses said, I didn't choose this job. He said, the Lord chose me. And he says, I'm going to prove that the Lord chose me. He says, tomorrow... He says, if you die a common death, you die like any other man die, then you'll know that the Lord is not with me. But he says, on tomorrow, he said, the earth is going to open its mouth and it's going to consume you three and 250 of Byram and Dathan's family. And as soon as he had spoken that, the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed those people up. Swallowed them up. And it's showing how God can bring devastation to sin when man commits it. Here they had gone against the law of God and the Lord swallowed them up in an earthquake. Now, the second earthquake that we find, we go to 1 Kings chapter 19. Now here you got Elijah. And of course, Elijah has, uh, he's been up before the Baal. He has asked them to make an altar, one for him, one for Baal, for, for Ahab uh, to make one for Baal, call down Baal 
send fire down on them. And he's went through that, and he's come to get in a place where Elijah's in despair. He's in despair because he tells the Lord, he said, Lord, they have torn down thine altars. They have killed the prophets. And he says, I, even I, am alone, and they seek my life. Now, that's a disparaging place for anyone to feel. To feel like you're the only one left serving God. I, even I, am alone, and they seek my life. Well, the Lord in just a minute is going to tell him he's not alone. He's going to tell him, I have reserved unto me 7,000 that have not kneeled down their knee to Baal. But in the scriptures here, while he's telling him that, in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11, and he said to Elijah, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind rent the mountains and break it in pieces and the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Well, we got to understand how that is because we know that there's been times where the Lord was in those things. He was in that earthquake that uh, took up Dathan and uh, uh, Korah and Abiram. He was in that. You go to Job chapter 38 and it said the Lord spoke to Job through a whirlwind. Now, I'm from South Mississippi. And down home, we got two kinds of weather things to keep an eye on. Down South Mississippi, you are always watching for hurricanes and tornadoes. And Mississippi has a lot of both of them. They got a lot of hurricanes and tornadoes. There's a little church down from my house, about eight miles from my house, it's been destroyed three times to the ground. One by a hurricane and two by tornadoes. And I thought, you know, and they've built it up the fourth time. It's there today. And I'm thinking to myself, I said, that preacher better start looking at what he's preaching. Somebody's trying to give him a message. <laughs> but that's the kind of weather that we have there. We have never had any earthquakes. I don't know about Nashville or not, if you've had any earthquakes or not. There was one not long ago in Oklahoma. Usually when we think earthquakes, we think of California. San Andreas Fault out there, and they have multiple earthquakes out there all the time. But I come to find out the other day that right down the Mississippi River, there's a fault called the New Madrid Fault goes all the way down. And today I've got earthquake insurance on my house. Never had a quake, but the threat, the possibility is there. Now he said that he was not in the strong wind. And let's look at the kind of strong wind. 
I lived through Katrina, and winds over our house was 200 miles an hour. But it's when it said it break, not moved, it break rocks. I've never seen a wind that could break a rock. And then he said there was the earthquake, and then he said there was fire. Now, the Lord was in the fire that Elijah just used to destroy that altar. He put 12 barrels of water around that place, and he still burned up the the altar and the, the sacrifice and licked up the water. The Lord was in that. But listen to the next phrase. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire... A still, small voice. Now he's telling you what the Lord was in. In this regard, the Lord was not in the earthquake or the wind or the fire when it came to salvation. But in salvation, the Lord comes in a still, small voice. Now the scriptures tells us in John 5, 25, the hour's coming now is when the uh, dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. But that voice right there is not a voice that they heard the voice of the Son of God with their ears. Because you see, a noise you hear with your ears, it's not still, there's movement. There's waves that are passing by, hitting upon your eardrums that comes from a source, making these waves, and that's what makes sound in your ears is those vibrations on your eardrums. But the Lord's not talking about a voice that's talking to your ears. He's talking about a voice that's talking to your heart. That's the still, small voice that brings salvation. There's a still, small voice that opens your heart and brings salvation. Now let's put the two together, earthquakes and the still small voice. One is thunderous, one makes a noise, one gets your attention. But it's trying to get your attention to something that most of the world never sees. And it's that still small voice working by God. The next earthquake, and I'm only going to mention it just briefly because the scriptures just mentioned it briefly. In the book of Amos, Amos starts this book this way. He's talking about King Huzziah. That's the period of time he's writing about. And he says, in the days of King Huzziah, two years before the earthquake. Two years before the earthquake. Well, it must have been one to get recognition to have a name that he's writing this two years before. The, well, of course, he's writing it afterwards, but he's starting his writings two years before the earthquake. You know, down home, we want to talk about hurricanes. We just say Katrina. We still down there say Katrina when Katrina come through because it was a tension getter big time. 
Then you go to Zechariah chapter 14, verse 5, and Zechariah is going to talk about this same earthquake. But he's talking about it 300 years after Amos wrote about it. Now, 300 years don't sound like much, does it? This country hadn't been in existence yet 300 years. Been 200 and something, but it hadn't been here 300 years, 1776 to 2024. Hadn't been here 300 years. Now look how long that seems going back to the days our forefathers made this country. I guess everybody can still remember what happened when those people flew those planes and came in and hit our buildings. One went toward the Pentagon. The others took down those two towers that was in New York. Do you remember the outcry that went out right after that? It was, we will never forget. You remember that? People were saying that all the time toward those enemies that we will never forget. And that hadn't been 30 years ago. And we have forgot. Our president is letting some of those same people that bombed down our towers into our country right now free of charge. We have forgot. When the children of Israel was delivered out of bondage, through all the miracles of God during the time of uh, Moses. You know how, how long it took for them to forget? Three days. It was only three days later and they was already complaining to Moses. People forget real easy. Well, let's go to the New Testament and see about a few earthquakes that's mentioned over here. Go with me to Matthew chapter 27. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Now I'm starting where the moment Jesus died on the cross. Now listen to these things that happened immediately after that. And I think they are listed in the order that they happened. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many of uh, bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection. Jesus gave up the ghost, and the first thing that happened was that the veil was rent. He's talking about in the temple, from top to bottom. Now, this is all happening before the day of what they would call the Sabbath. 
You remember they did, couldn't uh, allow the, uh, the people that was uh, crucified to stay on that cross till the next day because the next day was Sabbath day. So there's no people in the temple at the time that he's writing right here. Something insignificant happened that nobody saw it happen. But the scriptures tells you that when the Lord gave up the ghost, the veil was rent from top to bottom. He's talking about the veil that's in the temple that divides the holy from the holy of holies just like it was in the tabernacle. Now, in the holy, that is a good picture of the church and of the kingdom here. But behind the second veil is a picture of heaven. It's a picture of heaven. If you got your Bible and care to read along, let's go to Hebrews chapter 9 and see what that veil tells us. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 7, But into the second, second veil, went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of, his people, of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. The way into the holiness of all, which is a picture of heaven. What he's saying there, the way into heaven was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was standing. Why? Because there's a veil on it. And only one person could go behind that veil, and that was a high priest, and that's only once a year. But it's still representing heaven. But nobody else could go back there. When Jesus Christ came into this world, and he began to preach the gospel. And I want to show you that even when Jesus Christ himself, not me or Brother Ronald, I'm talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, was preaching to his disciples and talking about his death, which was coming up very shortly. He talked to them in some very plain words. Go to Luke chapter 18. Listen to his words here in verse 31. He's telling his disciples, apostles, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spit upon. And they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. Now that sounds like very simple words telling you what's fixing to happen to Jesus, doesn't it? Keep reading. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them. Neither they knew the things which were spoken. Well, if Jesus 
was preaching to them and they couldn't understand. What good could you or I do to preaching to them? The Lord hid the way of salvation until it was accomplished. And when he died and salvation was secure, the veil was rent so you could see the way it is into heaven. You could see the way the veil was rent and they could see the way into heaven. And there's a thing that is important to understand about this. You see, Jesus Christ secured the salvation for his people before they could ever see it. Therefore, it would not be by his dying and their believing in that. He's already got the salvation secured before they first ever understood it. I talked about Moses early. When Moses went up to get the commandment the first time, and he comes down, and he sees all these people who God had delivered so miraculously out of Egypt, they're in Reveille. They're dancing naked and having just a sinful time. And Moses took those two tablets of stone and he broke them down there and killed many of those people. Well, at this stage, Moses is just a picture of Adam. He's a picture of Adam like this. Adam was given law and he broke it. Moses was given the law, he broke it. But he goes back up the mountain the second time. And the Lord gives him those two tables. He'll, he'll hew out two tables again, write the same writing on them, give them back to Moses. And this time Moses is going to keep them. Matter of fact, he's going to put them in the, uh, he's going to put them in the Ark of the Covenant. Those two tables of stone that he's going to keep. But the second time when he comes down, Moses got a veil over his face. They can still see God's law, but they got a veil over Moses' face because they can't see the one that's going to represent the one that's going to keep that law. You see, it's hid from their face. Moses got the veil on. But when Jesus Christ died, the veil was rent and people could clearly see, there's my salvation. And I didn't do anything to deserve it or accomplish it. It was done. Now you can see. Then, we're still in Matthew 27. Turn over to chapter 28 and see how it begins. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. You had an earthquake when he died? And now you got an earthquake when he rose again. You see, these earthquakes are attention getters that when you see an earthquake, you should be looking around because there's something that's very knowledgeable 
for us to understand. Something just happened. What just happened? Jesus had just rose from the dead. What did Paul say? He died for our offenses, but he, raised, he was raised for our justification. Our justification that heaven would be our home was secured with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we preach his death, burial, and resurrection. Because salvation is in all of that. While the Lord is getting attention with something miraculous, something has happened with a still small voice that is worth mentioning and worth believing. Now the sixth earthquake that you find in the scriptures be found in Acts chapter 16. Let's go to Acts chapter 16. That's where we find the story of the Philippian jailer. There's going to be an earthquake in this story too. But there's going to be a lot of instances where we see still small voice working. Acts 16. I'll begin at verse 16. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Here was a woman that said she had a spirit of divination. Really what she was was a fortune teller, soothsaying. She was trying to tell people their fortunes. And they were getting rich off of it. Keep reading. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met with us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. She's working for these guys, and everybody's getting rich. Much gain they were getting from this woman. And this she did many days... Excuse me, I'm jumping to verse 17. And the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. She just lost her job. <laughs> She's not saying, I can tell you the truth. Here are some men that can show you through the most high God the way of salvation. I bet that made her popular with her bosses. <laughs> but what would change someone who's professing to be a fortune teller to start saying, these are the men of the Most High God, which showed us the way of salvation. Now, there's a 
there's a couple people I know in the scriptures. And we talk about them all the time. As to we can tell when they were born again. Apostle Paul. Everybody says and preaches and I believe too. That he was born again on the road to Damascus. Although the, the scriptures doesn't really say that. But they sure do show that. And we also say that the thief on the cross was born again on the cross. Although it doesn't say that. But it sure does show that. And here's what I'm talking about. Both of these cases, the thief on the cross and the apostle Paul, you look at their life and what they were doing before they're being born again and then look at their life after they're born again and you can see a drastic change in them. From what they are saying and what they are doing, there's a drastic change in them. Well, the thief on the cross, he was cursing God, just, Jesus, just like the other thief was. Until he had that change on the cross. And he said, then he begins to get on the other thief. Does not thou fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation, and we uh, indeed justly, but this man has done nothing amiss. Then he says unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Doesn't that show he was born again? What about Paul? Before he was born again, he was putting people in prison. He was searching out and getting people to put them in prison, bring them back to prison. Now after he was born again, he begins to preach the gospel. So don't you say he's born again on the uh, road to Damascus? Well, what about this woman? She was a, a fraud fortune teller. Then all of a sudden she says, we have met these men of the most high God which showeth unto the way of salvation. Doesn't that look like she was born again? Well, look like what happens to Paul as he takes this business away from these men through their fortune teller. And when the master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, <laughs> when she said that, boy, our money-making cash cow is gone. They caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought to them magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive nor to observe, being Romans. You ever met someone? If something happens and they give you a reason why it happened, no, they give you an excuse why it happened. But that's not the reason it happened. They just give an excuse why they wanted Paul and Silas to put in prison. They're teaching things contrary to us being Romans. That's the excuse. The reason was they just hit them in the pocketbook. That's why they want them in jail. They just hit them in the pocketbook. Well, 
And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. They've gotten Paul and Silas. They have beaten them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Now think about it. One of the fears I've always had in my life that I'd never do something that would cause me to be put into prison because I just don't think I could stand being in, in prison. And certainly couldn't stand it if I was in there for something I didn't do. Certainly you would really be in an uproar if you hadn't done it, what they're charging you with. You know, every now and then you hear of some prisoner being in prison for years and years, and they found out he was innocent. Let's see how Paul and Silas reacted. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. They not only put him in prison, they carried him to the dungeon, and then they put their feet in stocks to make sure they ain't going nowhere. They can't even move in that Dungeon. Still small voice. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. Well, I know without the grace of God, we would all be swearing, cursing, and whatever for being put in there. It would take God Almighty in his strength for us to be put into a prison unjustly and then thanking God for you being there. Praying and singing praises unto God. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. Here's the attention getter. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loose. Now think about God and how he has to be in this earthquake. It is such an earthquake that it shakes all the locks, all the doors come open, all the stocks come off. They're all set free. And yet it didn't shake it too hard that the top floors fell down and killed the ones that was in the dungeon. Boy, he got a control of his power that he can shake that thing just like that, just enough to get what he wants. And he's got all the doors open, all the stocks off, well, under a normal situation, what would you think happened when all those doors of those prison bar, uh, jail cells come open? A mass exodus. 
everybody trying to get out of there. Here's my one and only chance I'm going to get. I'm going. Is that what happened? We keep reasoning. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors opened, he would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had been fled. That's what he's expecting. The doors are open. I'm not going to find anybody in there. They're going to be gone, and I've been charged with them, so I might as well kill myself because that's what they're going to do when they get here because I've lost them. They're going to take my life or put me in prison for the rest of my life. I might as well get it over with. But Paul speaks up. But, but Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Now something kept them prisoners in there, and not a one of them left. There's that still small voice again. There's no way a prison could open its doors and not anybody try to take advantage of that. I want to try to show you in this story three phases of salvation. Sometimes in the Bible, and, and a lot of churches get in, in a problem because they can't see three different phases of salvation. Sometimes when you read by being saved, it means just being saved in a physical way. When Moses stood up there and said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, that was going to be a physical salvation because the Lord was going to save the Israelites from the Egyptians. And he did. And he just showed a salvation, a physical one for that jailer. Because he hadn't lost any prisoners. Then we read a little further. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. He's got a light. He comes in and he finds it just like Paul said. There ain't nobody gone. So he doesn't have to worry about his natural life any longer because he hadn't lost anybody. But now he's hunting a different kind of salvation. The Lord gave him the physical one by letting the prisoners stay still. And he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out to him out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now we can look at another salvation. What must I do to be saved? Now, what's he wanting to be saved from right now? 
Before I get to salvation number two, I want to go back and find salvation number three. I talked about people that show signs of when they were born again. I want you to look at this Philippian jailer. Before he went to bed, he took Paul and Silas, put them in a prison, put them in chains and stocks and stuff, and he went off to bed and he slept like a baby. Didn't bother him one bit what he was doing to Paul and Silas. But now he's woke up and he's going to Paul and Silas and asking them how he can be saved. You know what I believe happened that night in his sleep? That Philippian jailer was born again in his sleep. You see, a person doesn't have to be awake to be born again because he doesn't have to accept Christ into his heart to be born again. The Lord can born him again and change him while he is sleeping. And when he wakes up, he's a totally different man. He's going to the men that he put in jail, asking them how he can be saved. And he's not talking about from dying because he doesn't seem in any way. If he was talking about for dying, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ wouldn't have got him out from dying because they wouldn't have cared who he believed in. If he had lost prisoners, he would have died. But he's talking about something else. There's something else happened to that Philippian jailer. You know a misconception that people have about being born again? Is that they think that when a person's born again, that's a happy occasion. But the moment he's born again is not a happy occasion. You know why? Because for the first time in his life, he can see himself as a sinner he is. And that ain't going to make you happy. What amazing grace the second verse say. Grace taught my heart to fear. When you're born again, grace taught my heart to fear. And grace did my fears relieve. What relieved his fear? What do you have a fear of? The God that shook that jail. Not those magistrates. He was now fearful of the one that had changed his life. And he's fearful of the one that shook that jail. How precious did that grace appear? The hour I first believed. And what did Paul and, tell, Paul and Silas tell him to do to save him from that fear? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in all thy house. He experienced three salvations. He experienced one, that the prisoners didn't leave. He was saved from a physical stance. He received an eternal salvation when the Lord put eternal life in him by borning him again during his sleep. And now the third one are the timely salvation, being saved from fear and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ 
brought him a spiritual salvation that we receive in this world. He experienced three salvations in a matter of moments. What a beautiful story. And there was an earthquake to shake us to look for it, to get our attention. You see that earthquake, you start looking to get our attention. Bible and Revelation will speak of at least a couple more earthquakes. And he's going to talk about one when the Lord's coming. He said there's going to be an earthquake and it's not going to drop California off in the sea as some people think. There's going to be an earthquake in California just going to sea. This earthquake is going to quake this earth and heaven. Well, you talking about attention getter then? And Zacharias, and I'll close with this. When he talked about that earthquake that Amos said, he's writing two years before the earthquake, he says, Remember how you fled. Well, when hurricanes come up in the coast, usually we've got time to prepare, load up the car, get out of town. And I tell you now, storm coming to the coast now in Mississippi out of Katrina, people are leaving. They know what hurricanes can do. Sometimes the weather will tell you about tornado watches, tornado warnings, tornado warnings, one's been spotted. Usually you'll flee into the closet or somewhere, probably get you through that. But where do you go when the ground under you is falling apart? Well, I'll tell you when, where they went when that earthquake was hitting Dathan and Korah and Abiram. Those other people was fleeing to Moses. When the storms of this world hit us, we should flee to Christ. And that could be right on your knees going to Christ. You are my Savior. God bless you.